Moncrief on News Talk. Uh, now, we all probably know someone who likes to talk, but the problem, or not, is that they tend to talk, don't talk about anything substantive. Sometimes they just rabbit on. They can even be a bit boring, but is that a reason to dump them as a friend? We're joined by Dr. Brendan Kelly, Professor of Psychiatry at TCD. Good afternoon, Brendan. Good afternoon, Sean. Is it is it more important that, you know, you're talking, it doesn't really matter what you're talking about? Well, it's very important that we talk about things that don't matter in the slightest. And we all we all know this. We spend large percentages of our lives talking about the weather, talking about sporting events over which we have no control, reality television that really has no connection with us whatsoever. The more exotic, the better. And we all gravitate towards these topics and we gravitate away from the difficult topics like politics and religion that arguably have more impact on lives. So it is important what we talk about and it's important we talk about irrelevant things. Why? Well, these are largely uncontroversial, in, or the controversies are small. I mean, people might follow different sports teams, and they might have fierce rivalries, but ultimately, they have no control over the outcome of the games. And we like to invest heavily in things we cannot control, because that's safe. It makes us feel part of something bigger without giving us an enormous amount of personal responsibility for the outcome. Mm. Uh, but but it, so, so, it's of no particular value to either party engage in the conversation. So uh, why is it still a valuable conversation, if you see what I mean? Well, it is of enormous value in terms of relationship because it increases our sense of community to talk about things that are non-threatening and that we can agree on. It increases the time we spend with other people without having rows with them or killing them, that we can talk <laughs> about these kind of topics. Um, and this increases our self-worth. This, this, we're giving ourselves the message that we're able to relate to other people, albeit about the most meaningless topic on the surface of the planet. Do you get a sense that we don't do that as much? And we, because we were saying, um, uh, we were saying outside before uh, we came on air today that, you know, it used to be kind of people would wander into each other's houses and, you know, your Uncle Jimmy had come down and, and you know, drink 17 cups of tea and smoke a half a, half a box of players. And they would just wittering on about nothing. Uh, but this was the kind of speed of life. And that just doesn't seem to happen anymore. Well, it happens in a different way for lots of people. I mean, we're constantly talking about the uh, the ill effects of social media, and yet that permits a level and a frequency of communication that's very similar, if you like, to Uncle Jimmy ambling down to the house and sitting by the fire for X, X hours chatting about things that, that you seem to either remember or imagine. But what happened during COVID was very interesting in this regard, and there's some good research about this, that small talk diminished people. Mm. Weren't in workplaces. They weren't chatting around the water cooler, or you know, talking in the car park, or things like this. And this had a measurable effect on on well being, and particularly it increased loneliness. So these, you know, meaningful conversations still happened via Zoom or email or whatever. But it turns out that we were going to work not so much to work, but to chat and to gossip, and that that's where the value lies. Yeah. So the more of a a stress perhaps towards if you're going to have a conversation it has to be about something important uh, um, and uh, a lot of whilst missing perhaps to a degree the point of conversation. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, it's very important. Most conversations are not about anything important. The weather is excellent. And we naturally gravitate to talking about the weather, even though we can't control it. And we're saying the same things all the time to each other and then saying them back in a slightly different set of words. Mm. And indeed, we set out to agree. We say things like, it's very cold, isn't it, when the place is covered in snow? And it's extremely obvious to everyone that it's uh, very cold. And yet we do that. And it, it is almost explicitly acknowledging the importance of these conversations to help with our self-worth, our happiness, reduce our stress, and most of all, make us feel like we belong in a community of people who agree about something. Also, uh, again, this is something that you see in the media and uh, and on social media. Uh, one thing that seems to have come out of the pandemic is a sense that, well, I've, you know, I've reassessed my friendships and, um, you know, that one is toxic, that one, you know, I don't like it. It doesn't do anything for me. And, it, and almost like it's you're rating your relationships in, in down to some sort of transactional sense of what am I getting out of this? Yeah, and it's easy to do that because the pandemic did focus us quite a good deal on that. In general, it's good not to try to over-control these things, but it's helpful to have some close friends that you might confide in, but also slightly distant ones that you wouldn't conceivably confide in, and hopefully they won't confide in you. And all the topics then discussed are rather superficial and unimportant. And then there's a third kind of friend, which is that long-time friend you might talk to once every six months or maybe once every few years. And that's a really important important kind of connection that gives a lot of perspective over a long period of time. But, you know, we can overthink this uh, a little bit, but we certainly undervalue those superficial conversations, the chit-chat. And we know from other research that when things go wrong in our lives, when things go wrong at work, maybe, the best form of support is from colleagues to whom we have been chatting for a long time. They're the only ones who can really help us through the difficult times. Well, see, that's an, and that is an interesting thing in how do you rate what's the most important relationships in your life? Because most people would spend more time with people at work than they might spend with their own families. But they'd be horrified at the notion that somebody at work was actually knew more about them or was closer to them than their own families. Yes. And we have the concept of, you know, work husbands and work wives Mm. and things like this. These people play radically different roles in our lives, though. And, you know, if someone is very, you know, if your partner is very close to someone at work, that honestly is a very, very different thing and is usually not in any way relationship threatening um, because of the, the level that's pitched at. And we do need these other relationships. One of the biggest protective factors against depression over your lifespan is having a friend who is not a family member or a partner in whom you can confide. Mm. So somebody outside your circle, if you like, who doesn't have skin in the game, someone who can listen to you complain bitterly about all your family members. And in due course, you will listen to them complain bitterly about their family members. And that release valve is incredibly important. So these friendships outside the home offer things that friendships within the home can never offer. So nowadays, are we perhaps in danger of being a bit too fussy about who we're friends with? Yeah, I mean, we do. I mean, we do tend to overthink this a little bit. It is important to to bear in mind. It's useful to have friends. It's useful to have friends separate from work, particularly when a person stops working, maybe in later life. It's very helpful that their entire social system doesn't fall away at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's useful to devote a little bit of thought to this. But then one can certainly overthink the whole the whole friendship thing, and uh, you know, start trying to build friendships. I mean, the the rule, if you like the 
the guidelines or the, the best way to get friends is to practice one's own skills and ask, you know, am I a good friend? And that often boils down to, do I listen to other people or do I not? Because everyone just wants to be listened to. That is our most profound and constant need. We want to believe other people hear us. The older you get, does it get harder to make friends, new friends? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, it's easy enough to make friends when you're younger and you're forced into situations like school or maybe sporting events or activities. We can, uh, you know, we can shape the likelihood of making friends. But ultimately, it's about being open to the possibility of friendships along the way. This isn't really something you can intentionally design. You can create conditions for it by being kind, by listening, by being a little bit outgoing, and by, you know, stepping forward into activities and events um, and being open to what happens. And remembering that friends who are different to you in many ways, they are possibly the most useful friends to have because they will offer different perspectives when, when you come to chatting with them. Brendan, thanks a million for uh, speaking with us uh, again. That was Dr. Brendan Kelly there, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College and the author of In Search of Madness. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk. News Talk.